Today's passage is from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 74. The Lord descended in the tablets of stone. Oh, sorry. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'll take it. Um, um, let's pray. Let's pray. And I uh, will get into this. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, you are a, a good God. And um, sometimes uh, you're a little bit mysterious. Sometimes it feels like you're a little bit hidden. Sometimes it feels like uh, you are a little bit out of reach. Uh, but um, But that is... Uh, truly not who you are. You desire to reach into every one of our lives. And uh, God, we pray that um, if we feel far from you or if we don't even know you, uh, would you speak to us? Would you talk to us? Would you uh, show us who you are? Would you open our eyes and uh, just um, unveil uh, this lie that the world has told us, maybe Satan has told us, and uh, help us to find uh, um, a family and find, help us to find a home in you. Uh, so we ask you, uh, empower your word today and uh, help us all to hear and, and know more of you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, as uh, they've been saying throughout this morning, we've been going through a series on difficult questions. And uh, today's question is, uh, why does God seem angry in the Old Testament and, uh, you know, loving in the New Testament? Or why, why is there like this kind of variability with God? And, and this comes out in different ways. Um, you know, uh, sometimes people say, you know, why is your God a schizo? Like from a skeptic's perspective, you know, why is your God so schizophrenic? He's like killing and murdering people over here. And he's telling everyone to love each other over here. You know, or, or why, why does your God have all these temper tantrums and, and, you know, it's just like burning cities with, you know, meteors from heaven. Like, what, what is going on? Um, uh, I guess this is the fun way to read it. Let me. No? Yes? No? 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 Okay. It works in the CM. <laughs> um, but uh, w William will forward and figure it out. Um, but um, there's, there's uh, fun ways to talk about it. Here's one. Um, here's our favorite atheist, uh, Richard Dawkins. And uh, he writes, all right, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, I don't even know what that means, pestilent, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. All right, says uh, Richard Dawkins right, uh, from his book. Um, and uh, um, this is how uh, some skeptics portray God, right? Especially when they look in the Old Testament and they, and they see, you know, who is this guy? Why is this like this? Okay, so um, again, we've been answering these questions. And uh, for me, you know, I presented last time I spoke to you guys, 
Um, you know, I don't want this to be like, um, you know, here's the, the Christian expert and he's just going to slam down the argument and, you know, we're all said and done with this and, uh, you know, there's nothing left to be said. But um, really, I want to present to you guys uh, some ideas and, uh, you know, if you reject those ideas or you have some different thoughts or you're more curious or you have, you know, you want to understand something more, um, I want this to be more of a beginning of a conversation. You know, maybe even if you believe these things, and uh, you still have some doubts or questions. Because this is um, kind of like one of those mind-numbing issues. Like, why does God, you know, kill children and women and, and you know, execute all these people? Like, how can a God do that? And, and, and this is a very real question to think about. So, um, you know, this is, uh, again, you know, I, I want us to talk about this. Okay, so if you feel like, you know, this is, if you, we end the sermon, you feel like that was stupid, don't just say it's stupid. Let's talk about it. Let's, I want to know why you think it's stupid. I want to know why you think, you know, this is the dumbest thing you've ever heard of. You know, God like this is so radically, you know, incoherent that, you know, no one should follow this God. Right, but let's talk about that. You know, because um, to be perfectly honest, I'm on a quest for truth just as much as any of you. You know, and if you found out that this God is non-existent and no one should follow him, then I want to know why. And if you're right, then I'll follow you. Right? If you find out that's the real truth, right? and I'll go on a quest and a crusade with you, you know, if you can prove to me that you know, really this is the right way to do it. Okay? So I'm just you know, trying to be honest and transparent. Okay? I'm not trying to stand here and say I know everything. Right? We're all learning about this together, and I have, feel like you know, I have a very firm foundation, and I'm very confident in this. Okay? But I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to um, you know, see what other perspectives and views are, and hopefully all of us in this room as well, you know, we can just talk about it and figure things out and, uh, and learn, learn about it. Okay, so uh, why does God seem angry in the Old Testament, loving in the New Testament? All right, our weird quote over here. Right, and uh, I thought it would be appropriate to begin with um, who is God. So let me go over the points. We'll start with who is God, and then we'll branch out from there, and uh, we'll talk about this angry God in the Old Testament, and then we'll talk about, like, why does there seem like there's this, like, imbalance in the Old and New Testament about how God is working in the world, okay? So um, that's, that'll be the direction for today. Um, so we'll start out with, who is God? Who is God? Right? And, uh, um, you know, this is uh, Dawkins' definition of God, right? And, uh, you know, I could give you a definition of God, but I thought uh, the most appropriate way to figure out who God was was, um, who does God say God is? Right, which is why I love this passage. Okay, uh, this is just a CM slide. We we went over uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, and uh, we went through this. And uh, in CM, uh, I make these little funny PowerPoints. So I just you know threw it up here because it was easy. So um, if you don't know uh, the root of the passage that we read this morning, uh, Moses you know says, "I want to see you. I want to know who you are." So uh, God says, "Okay, go up to this mountain, and I'll reveal myself to you." So Moses uh, brings these tablets up to to the mountain. And then he hides in the cleft of the rocks, and God passes by him. And all the commentators say he didn't actually see the face of God, but he saw the back of God. And some commentators go so far as to say, you know, he didn't even see God's back because he would have been destroyed, but he just saw, like, God's robe or something like that. So he barely saw him. And then as God's passing by Moses and revealing himself to him, uh, God declares um, who he is. Okay, so he reveals about, like, this is God's perspective of God. Right, so I, I love, this is one of the reasons I love this passage, because if you want to know who God is, who better to hear it from than God himself? Okay, so it says, uh, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. 
okay, which sounds very familiar to us in uh, the current churches. You know, this is like New Testament. We read, this is God, this is God. All right, but there's a but, and this is a very big but. All right, but who will by no means clear the guilty, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so um, in this definition of God, who is God, we see, all right, um, that there is a very loving, gracious, kind, compassionate God that we study so much in the New Testament. Right? And uh, there is this other side of God, right, which isn't contrary. This is just who God is because of God's perfect justice. He will by no means clear the guilty. Right? He is a just God. He's going to punish sinfulness right, to the third and fourth generation. So this is, uh, when God looks at this, this is a very serious thing that God is approaching when he's dealing with sin. He's not saying, uh, not, no big deal, it's okay. But he punishes, right? he punishes sin. Right? So this is who God is. Right, so um, I wanted to look for evidences in both the Old Testament and New Testament of this definition of God. Right? Can we see it? Right, so um, I made this little diagram or illustration. Okay? And um, I, I have the scales tilted uh, just for, uh, because this is kind of our general perception of how we see God. Okay, uh, and uh, just my feeling, because this is our general perception. Uh, you know, if you look through all the passages in the Old and New Testament, it'd probably be skewed a little bit differently. But this is just the general perception of the skeptic that you know this is it's like this. It's okay. So uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the good stuff of God. There's like God calls Abraham, who is this pagan, to follow the one true God. So like this undeserving guy pulls him out, makes him a whole nation. Uh, if you don't know the story of Nineveh, and, and God sends uh, Jonah to Nineveh, to uh, um, the city that was so corrupt and doing so many evil things, and uh, Jonah goes there, uh, you know, tells that God is going to you know, destroy this whole place, repents, and this great city of Nineveh repents, and God shows his graciousness and compassion and forgives this city of, all, uh, of their wrongdoing. Okay? Um, there is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in, in Jericho. And, uh, you know, as the spies from Israel were going into Jericho, Rahab protects these people and says, you know, uh, everyone in the city is scared of you. Uh, you know, I exchange my life for yours. Will you protect me if I protect you? And, and uh, they show mercy to Rahab. Okay, and God shows mercy to Rahab. Uh, there's uh, the prophet Hosea. And these are just some examples. There's many, 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 of course. But just some. Hosea, uh, the story of uh, this prophet that's sent to marry a prostitute. And this prostitute cheats on him again and again and again. But God keeps telling him to go and find this prostitute, pay off all her debts, buy her back from slavery. And this is an imagery of how God loves Israel, who cheats on him over and over and over. But God is going to you know, pay the price for Israel and save them and bring them back out and love them. Okay, so uh, just these great pictures of grace. Okay, and in the New Testament side, uh, you know, Jesus heals the sick, heals the, heals the blind, uh, loves the poor. Um, you know, uh, they ask Jesus, how many times should we forgive this person? And Jesus says, you know, forgive them 77, 77 times 7. Not just 7 times, but 77 times 7. So this great amount of forgiveness. And, of course, uh, Jesus dies for all of our sins, the whole, the whole world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And, and there are these huge pictures of God, uh, God's grace. Right? So um, there, evidence of God's goodness, the compassionate. All right? The bad stuff, the bad stuff. All right, we'll see in the Old Testament, uh, Noah in the great flood, God wipes out all the earth because they become so corrupt. And there's this angry God, this wrathful God. 
uh, there are these plagues of Egypt, and uh, you know he sends flies and, and turns the Nile into blood. All this bad stuff happens. God, uh, you know, kills or destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Canaan, like this big conquest of the promised land, and the Israelites are going slaughtering city by city and uh, just going, and there's this like wrathful, like vengeful, angry God seemingly that is in the Old Testament, okay? And uh, um, on the other side in the New Testament is God quite as wrathful, and there are examples of it. Um, you know, there's a story of Jesus turning over the money changers' tables in the temple and clearing everyone out with a whip. And uh, Ananias, um, who was someone who said, you know, we're going to give this much offering, but they lied about it, and they were struck down and, and died. Uh, the Pharisees, got, uh, Jesus was always arguing with them and, and rebuking them and saying how evil they were. And of course, um, you know, which should actually tip the scales completely, but there's the final judgment in Revelation where, you know, the whole world will be judged, and there's an eternity of hell uh, and a wrath for those that uh, decide against Jesus or decide to follow other gods or their own way. Okay, so um, regardless of that, okay, our perception is in the Old Testament, you know, and, and nowadays we're not told to go to, you know, some Middle Eastern country and start slaughtering everyone there, right? Uh, nowadays God tells us to love your enemy. It's like, so uh, our perception is this, or it's this, okay? So like, what's going on? What's going on? Why is there um, so much of this violence in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there's something very different. All right, so, um, so um, yeah, who is God? Okay, again, we see evidences of both in both Old Testament and New Testament, okay, varying amounts. Okay, so uh, there's two things we're going to deal with, right? Um, what do we do with this perception, okay, that God is so angry in the Old Testament and uh, more loving in the New Testament than the other side, right? And... Um, and more than that, okay, um, I think uh, many people don't have problems with God being loving at all or gracious or compassionate. They don't have problems with that at all, right? But they do have problems with God being um, angry and wrathful and killing people and, and commanding Israelites to kill people. So uh, what do we do with that? What do we do with this Old Testament God? How do we um, explain this? Or, you know, how do we, how do we, uh, what do we do with that? Okay, so um, those are the two routes we're going to go down, okay? What do we do with this Old Testament God? And uh, why is there this seeming imbalance of love and wrath throughout the Bible? Okay, so we'll go with those. All right, so uh, let's start. Uh, lots of directions to go right, when we're talking about what's going on in the Old Testament. Like I said, you know, we could talk about plagues or floods. Uh, but let's go straight to the guts of it, right? Let's go straight to the one that everyone t like talks about and everyone hates or everyone questions. Like, how can God sanction what seems like genocide, right? How can God do that? Um, uh, la you, just last week, uh, in the children's ministry, we were talking about Jericho and them marching around the walls. And, and I had all the kids go, <gasps> and blow horns, and they all blew their horns, and they all shouted. And I told them the walls fell down. And then they ran into the city, and they killed everyone, right? And, uh, you know, you got to kind of, like, tone this down as much as you can for kids. But for some reason, this is a popular children's ministry story. I don't know why. Right. Uh, if you think about all the stories in children's ministry, most of them are pretty violent. But, um, but I, I tried to tone it down. It's like, yeah, they just killed everyone in the city. Right? And one of the kids raised their hand, and they're like, did they even kill the children? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, whoa. <laughs> they were all, like, shocked, right? They were in utter shock. Right? And, and that's what the Bible tells us. Okay? That's what the Bible story tells us. Right? So um, how can God do that? 
How can God uh, sanction what seems like, you know, go in, kill all the Amorites, kill all the Canaanites, kill all the, you know, uh, whatever tights, right? How can God kill all these people? Like, what is God doing uh, when he's commanding these Israelites to take the promised land? Okay, because this seems like really, really something different than what we have in, as God in the New Testament. Okay, so uh, before I go into um, some questions and explaining them, right, uh, I want to refer you to a guy named Paul Copan, right, C-O-P-A-N, right, and uh, um, I ran across some of his videos. He writes a couple books, you know, Is God a Moral Monster? Uh, I encourage you to look him up if you have more questions about this, because we're going to talk about like a small, you know, just a small portion, but he talks about a lot more, uh, more, more of these issues and, and explains them and kind of uh, makes sense of what's going on here. Okay, but um, so some of these points will come from him, just referencing so I don't get sued. All right, but um, what was God's command concerning the conquest? Okay, so let's talk about the conquest of the promised land. All right, what was God's command concerning the conquest? Okay, was the command, go in, every single Canaanite you see, make sure you kill every single one, as well as the women and the children. Make sure you kill every, I want to see blood everywhere, none of them alive. All right, was that his command? Because right, that's kind of what it sounds like or seems like when Richard Dawkins is talking or uh, sometimes skeptics, you know, when they argue. Uh, that's that's kind of like, seems like the, the idea in the back of their head. Okay, so uh, for this, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 23. And um, this is what it says. Okay, so um, back here, um, God's talking. It says, I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hands. And you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Okay, so um, here um, we have God promising the promised land to Moses. Or, and, uh, um, and he's saying, drive these people out. Drive them out from the land. Okay, lest they become a snare to you, okay, lest they become a snare to you. Okay, so um, the command here wasn't, you know, when you go, I give you the land from the Red Sea to this sea, everyone in between, put the sword to their necks. Make sure every single one of them dies. Is that the command here? No, right? The command is drive them out, right, which is a very different way of thinking. Okay, it's a very different thought process, okay? When we're driving people out, we're making sure they leave the land. Okay, so um, they're driving them out. There are these cities and strongholds. Those people decide they're not going to go. Right? And then what do you have to do? You have to go to war with them in order to drive them out. Okay, so this isn't just a systematic killing of every single person they come across, but it is a driving out of these nations right? and scattering of these nations uh, and pushing them out from the promised land. Right? And the people that decide to stay and decide to fight, well, then they're going to have to fight them okay? and go to war over these things. Okay, so uh, this was God's command. Okay, so hopefully this changes your perspective a little. All right, uh, another question. Um, all right, what was the deal when God does say, all right, like things like when we're talking about Jericho or the city of Ai, AI, um, like, you know, I, he wants the utter destruction or put the sword to all the cattle and all the women and children and everyone who lives. All right, what, what is with that language? Okay, what is with that language? Because uh, that does sound incredibly violent. All right, um, for this, uh, I've heard from a different number of different people. Okay, when you read the Bible, it's important that you don't read it literally. 
Okay, let me finish. Okay, you don't read it literally, right, but you read it literarily. Okay, that you read it literarily. Okay, meaning when you read the Bible, there are a lot of different literary modes in which the writers write things to us. Okay, there are psalms, there are poems, there are historical writings, there are the epistles or letters. And each of these different styles of writing, you have to read a little bit differently. Okay, otherwise, things don't make sense. Okay, we're not trying to find, um, you know, um, just, uh, how do you explain it? You're not trying to find like direct commands from the Psalms or, or the Proverbs, but you're finding general life principles. Okay, whereas, uh, in, you know, other places you're finding direct commands of how we should live. All right, so, um, so we read it literarily. Okay, so uh, the reason I say this is because if we read these passages literarily, okay, and we look at the writings of the ancient Near East, okay, there was, uh, it was very common to exaggerate this type of language when, when they're writing about wars and conquests and, and their victories and their losses, okay? Just like there's exaggerated language when we talk about football or baseball or basketball, and, uh, you know, uh, last week the 49ers were playing the Cowboys, and the writers could say, you know, the coach told the team members, slaughter everyone on the field. And the, the news writers could say, the Cowboys, they utterly decimated the 49ers last week. Right? We wouldn't read that literally and be like, oh, man, that field must have been really bloody. I feel sorry for the groundskeepers after the game. Right? We look at that, and we recognize instantly, because we're thinking literarily, you know, well, you know, they're just writing, and, and they're exaggerating the language to, to make a point or to you know, make, uh, make some emotional connection or whatever they're trying to do. Okay? So um, here we are right, in our context, or in our piece of the Bible that we're reading, all right? And again, ancient Near East writing, this was commonplace, right? Where they're talking about the utter destruction of cities or people, okay? And if we understand that there can be exaggerations here, all right, uh, we'll see. Okay, so let me put up Jeremiah 25, all right? And uh, it says this, all right, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for you uh, for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and all its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Okay, so who's God talking about here? The Israelites, okay? So God is saying, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar as my servant, and I'm going to destroy the Israelites because you guys have sinned against me. Right? And it's, I'm going to we'll devote them to destruction and make them a horror. Okay, but does God wipe every single Israelite from the face of the earth? No. Right? No. Right? Just like if we looked at other passages right, um, where he's talking about um, you know, the people, the Canaanites or the different groups and tribes, okay? um, it says they utterly destroy them and they you know, uh, put the sword to all the women and children and the cattle and, and all this. But if you look at different passages in the Bible, you see them showing up again. Right? Sometimes because of the Israelites' disobedience. Okay? That is part of it. Okay? Sometimes they disobeyed and didn't kill everyone. Right? But, so, but there are other times where these people are just in the land or they're you know, within, within the places where seemingly they should have been utterly destroyed. Okay? So what do we do with it? Again, uh, we look literarily and we see uh, that maybe this was an exaggeration of the language, right, which would have been commonplace uh, for that time in, uh, of writing. 
Okay. Um, so, um, so was this the destruction of Jericho completely and utter, and they killed every single person? Possibly, right? Uh, but maybe they exaggerated, and possibly they didn't kill every single woman, children, and person. Okay, maybe some of them fled and ran off, and, and you know they didn't chase them down to the ends of the earth. Okay, maybe it could be either way. We'll have to um, pop in the DVD when we get to heaven and find out. Okay, and we'll see what actually happened. Okay. There, there, there is room for exaggeration. Okay, so I'm just trying to uh, soften that a little bit when we read these and, and how we understand that. Okay, um, another question, third question for this section. Okay, uh, was this command purely genocide? Okay, uh, regardless of what you think, you know, they killed everyone, they didn't kill everyone, exaggeration, whatever. But maybe we could think, was this command purely genocide? Okay, so um, remember our definition of God. Right, we have the compassionate stuff, and then we have the, you know, but I will not let the guilty go unpunished. Okay, remember who God is. All right, God is a punisher of sins. Okay, God is a punisher of sins. Right, when um, God first promises the promised land to Abraham, right, um, he says, you know, I'm going to give you all this land uh, in Genesis chapter 15, but he says, not yet, okay, because the sins of the Amorites have not reached their full measure. Okay, there's going to be another 400 years before you come into this land. Uh, and, and you're going to take it as, as your own. Okay? Uh, what does that mean? The sins of the Amorites have not reached their full measure. Right? So God is waiting for them maybe to repent, maybe to change. Right? I thought of it this way. Um, uh, last, last week right, in the children's ministry, they're so cute. Okay? Um, they, they talk a lot. With the, you know, when, when, like I'm giving the sermon, they're always like talking with each other, or we're doing like the Apostles' Creed, and they're talking with each other, and I'm always like, shh, 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 okay? So um, there's a lot of shushing going on, right? and a lot of like glares and whatever, okay? But I don't necessarily issue like a firm punishment, but for last week, for the first time since they kept doing that, I told them I was going to give them assigned seating. Ah, okay? And I told them, Today, you have to sit girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. And they were terrified at that prospect. Okay, and they're like, no. All right, so they all sat girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. Okay, but I didn't do that the first time the kids, like, you know, they started talking or they play with toys or they do, they do all kinds of things that kids do. Like, I didn't do that the first time. Okay, I didn't do it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, or the fifth time. Okay, I, I let that accumulate. Okay, I was like waiting for the appropriate time. You know, it's like, okay, I've had enough. Okay, so um, I was giving them many chances. Like the, the, the sins of the CM hadn't reached their full measure for this punishment to come down on them. So I was waiting. I was waiting for the possibility that some of them might change. And some of them do. Some of them do. Some of them did in that time period. You know, they did stop talking or they did learn to sit with someone else so they wouldn't be tempted to interrupt and, and do things, okay? And, and, you know, maybe this is what God is doing here, okay? Um, uh, he's a punisher of sin, right? And he looks at this land, sees all these sinful people, all right? He's waiting, right? Um, he could have punished them right away. But perhaps he's waiting for some people to repent or some people to change or some people to do better, right? Um, like, like we talked about before, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city, but the whole city repented, right? So it is possible, right? It is possible that things like that can happen, right? So uh, God is a punisher of sin, right? Um, what, what kinds of sins are we talking about when we're talking about the Canaanites, right, in this conquest, right? The Bible says uh, they were idolatrous, 
right? They were incestuous. They committed adultery, uh, bestiality, uh, child sacrifice. Okay, and uh, you know this wasn't exaggerated. There is actual archaeological evidence for these child sacrifices. If you want to look more into it, uh, go on Wikipedia and look up a god named Moloch. Okay, and uh, you know this god, you know. Superstition-wise, you know, when they build a house, if they want to have good fortune in the house, they should kill one of their children and put them under the foundation. You know, if they, uh, you know, want to have success in war with crops, there's different uh, times where uh, they would uh, sacrifice their children, right? And uh, this was um, this was part of the Canaanite culture, right? So um, they were a very uh, wicked people. Okay, those are the ones they list, but if they have such little value for human life, you know, you can only imagine. Um, what other kind of wickedness there would be uh, amongst these people, okay? So um, when we uh, are seeing God using the Israelites to judge these nations, okay, um, it's not purely genocide. It's not just because they're a Canaanite, you should kill them, right? But um, he is punishing sin, okay? He's punishing sin, right? Um, when he comes across these different cities, whether it be Jericho or Ai or any of the other cities, Right? Uh, we have to understand that um, just like in you know, our favorite medieval movies or TV shows, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, okay? when you take the castle, you get the land. Right? Right? You take the stronghold, you get the land. Okay? And this is uh, what they uh, uh, perceive as what's going on here in the Bible. When you take Jericho, right, when you destroy their city center, their, their center of trade, their center of rule, their religious center, their defensive center, then you take the whole land. Okay? So what they're doing is they're crushing those particular places um, you know, and, uh, and changing that whole area. Okay? So now you put the new flag in there, and this is the Israelites' land. Okay? And um, this punishment of sin is the same with anyone that continues to disobey, right? Israel included. Okay, we just looked at this verse. God is judging Israel for their many sins. Okay, so is God being racist? Is God being genocidal? No. Right? He's judging sin, right? whether it's the Canaanites or it's his own people, the Israelites. Okay? They get the same punishment. Right? They get put into exile. They get slaughtered. They get uh, beat up. Okay? So it's not just... God telling Israelites, you kill the Canaanites, you kill the Amorites, make sure you kill every single one. I don't like those people. Right? But you guys, these guys have sinned for 400 years plus. You know, now it's time for me to take judgment. I'm going to use you as their instrument. Right? Just like the reverse right here. You, know, you guys have sinned so much, I'm going to use the Babylonians, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to judge you for your sins. Okay? So when we're looking at this, this isn't you know, as Dawkins tries to make it look like, just genocide or just racism, or just, uh, you know, some kind of idea like that, okay? Um, so, uh, you know, when we look at the Old Testament God, is he angry? Yeah, he is angry, okay? But he's angry over sin. He's angry over sin, not hating a particular people or the color of their skin or, um, you know, what they wear or something like that, okay? Um, so uh, that's the second point, right? Hopefully that changes a misconception of a genocidal God, uh, but... Uh, I don't want you to take away that God isn't angry, that God is this nice God, but he is very angry, right, but at sin, right, at sin. Okay? Um, so next point, right? why 
is there such a wrathful side of God? Why is it more apparent in the Old Testament than the New Testament? Why is God more loving in the New Testament than the Old Testament? Why does it seem that way? Regardless of whether it is or isn't, why does it seem that way? Why does it seem that way? Okay, and for that answer, I'm going to say that the narrative and the story is so important to understand what is going on at those particular times. Okay, so let me explain it this way. Okay, I'll use Lord of the Rings again, or you could take any superhero story. Okay, but Lord of the Rings, okay. If you take that movie or the series of movies, right, and you, re you isolate the different scenes from the narrative, the greater narrative, what's going on, right? You just pull out, you know, you like Helm's Deep, right? Movie two, the end of it. You know, there's all these orcs as far as the eye can see, and then they're all like holed up here, and they're killing all these people, and Gandalf, you know, rides down and kills all these orcs, right? We separate that from the very beginning of the movie, you know, where there's all these cute little hobbits, and they're doing fireworks, and Gandalf is there smoking his pipe, and they're all happy, and everyone's good, right? We, we take those. We take out the whole story and just look at those two scenes, right? We can do exactly what um, the, the contrarians or the skeptics or the, the people that are, are, you know, that view God the wrong way. Like, what they're trying to do is do this, right? I, I would be like, why is Gandalf such a misogynistic, whatever words he used, genocidal? Why does he want to kill all these orcs? He's so violent. All these hobbits are so violent. All these elves are so violent. All they do is kill people, you know, and, and it's so schizophrenic, you know, because Gandalf, you know, I saw him before, and, you know, later in this other side of the book, he's so kind and he's so loving. But, like, how can you, like, have a character like that that's so two-sided, so schizophrenic, so, like, nonsensical? It doesn't make any sense. Right? If you had someone try to make that argument to you, you look at them like they're an idiot, right? Like, are you, <laughs> like, did you even like read the books or watch the movie? How, like, how can you even like say something like that? That doesn't even make any kind of sense, right? But what do you have to do? You, tell, you have to understand it in the context of the story. Like, when you understand the whole story from beginning to end, you understand why they're killing orcs in particular. Right? You can understand why you know, there's such this loving and peaceful time in the beginning. Okay? And, and it's when we understand the whole story is when we can understand what God is doing throughout the story. Right? Not just picking this time where God is killing these people, picking this time where God is loving these people. And like, how can you have such an incoherent God that, that um, you know, doesn't make any sense? Right? Um, uh, another way to think about it, right? Um, all of us have narratives of our own lives, right? Um, if, if I said all of a sudden, like, what the heck is wrong with my mom and dad? Like, what the heck was, what's the deal with them beating me so much when I was a little kid and yelling at me and grounding me, sending to my room, breaking my squirt guns, not letting me play with my friends? Like, why did they do that so much when I was young? Why were they so angry and wrathful and vindictive and so, like, harsh? But now... You know, I can call them up, and we have nice conversations. Like, are my parents schizophrenic? Like, what's wrong with them? Right? Again, if I made that argument to you, you'd look at me and be like, are you serious? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, how can you even think like that? You know, and, and we understand, when we understand the narrative of our lives, that the parents have a different purpose when I'm a little kid for hitting me with a spoon on my butt. Right? And uh, different purpose, you know, they don't do that anymore, or at least I wouldn't tell you if they did. Right? But they don't do that anymore. Okay? 
because things have changed. There's been a story. There's something that has happened. There's different stages in life. There's different stages of development. Okay. Um, so uh, when you isolate the incidents from the narrative, it becomes incoherent. Okay. That, hopefully that's obvious to you. Right? And uh, um, hopefully it's obvious to you after we explain a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, when we isolate God's wrathfulness and His kindness from the narrative, then God becomes incoherent. Right? But when we understand Him in the story, right, then we can start to see what God is doing, what His purpose is, and uh, what it, what exactly is really going on here. Okay, um, so uh, that brings us to the wonderful question of what is the story of the Bible, right? What is the story of the Bible? Because it's a long, stinking book. Like, how do you make sense of it? What's going on here? Why are there so many chapters and why are there so many pages? Why do they have to be so thin, okay? Um, all things that people like me that don't like reading wonder, all right? But what is the story of the Bible? Okay, and uh, I'll put up another slide, okay? And uh, I uh, show this to the children very often because I want them to understand what the big story of the Bible is. Okay, when I was a kid, I never saw this, so I never like really understood like putting Genesis to Revelation. Like, what is all this stuff in between? Okay, so if you want the very basic layout of what's going on in the Bible, so you can understand what's happening in this book. All right, there is creation. All right, God creates the world in Genesis and Adam and Eve, and everything's beautiful. There's this fall. Right? Adam and Eve sin, right? but not only Adam and Eve, but all of creation gets corrupted. Right? Then there's this long period, every year of Genesis all the way to the New Testament right, of redemption. Like, What is this plan? How is God going to redeem us from sin? Like, what, how, how is this going to happen? What's, you know, this is this long story of how this is going to happen. Right? And finally, Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross and redeems us. And then after Jesus dies, there's this period of restoration, Right, where um, you know, part of it is you know, the end of it is going to be heaven, but part of it is us you know, looking for, uh, preaching the gospel, uh, telling other people about how they can be redeemed, right, and restoring um, you know, people as well as, you know, some people say, the earth to uh, a former glory, uh, which will ultimately culminate in heaven. Okay? Um, so uh, this is painting broad strokes, okay, broad strokes of understanding the Bible. Okay? And when we understand the Bible like this, Right, we see the central right, um, antagonist of the story, right, which is sin. Okay? Central antagonist, okay, the thing that is causing the most problem is sin. Okay? And when we look at sin, right, we're not rescued by uh, the leadership of Moses in the Bible. We're not rescued by the strength of Samson. We're not rescued by the kingship of David. We're not rescued by the wisdom of Solomon. Like all these pages of the Bible right, demonstrating to us the seriousness of sin, right? it's not just being smart. It's not just having a better society. It's not just having a king over our roof that's you know, a good and great king. It's not just you know, conquest. It's not just these things that's going to save us, right? but we need a greater savior. Okay? So when we're reading you know, Genesis all the way through the New Testament, right, we should be learning this lesson that Sin is this pervasive, just heavy, in, indefeatable thing that humankind cannot defeat. No matter how many animals we sacrifice, no matter how good we try to be, no matter how smart we try to be, right, we need something more in this story. Okay, so sin is this serious, serious thing that we're battling against, right, which is resolved in Jesus Christ, which is resolved in Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Um, 
When we look at the conquests, okay, when we're looking at, you know, Israelites going through Canaan or the flood, all right, God is demonstrating to us through this story of this utter seriousness of sin. Right? This is not just, oh, it's okay, you know, you lied. Right? But this is serious, serious, serious to the nth degree, right? that God needs to kill people, even children, even animals. Right? And, and, you know, we get pages and pages and pages. So if you learn anything from this, you know, the Old Testament, you should, we should be learning that we cannot defeat sin on our own. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we do, it always comes back. Even though God floods the whole earth, kills everyone except for Noah, who's supposed to be righteous and faithful and saves his family, bam, next thing you know, sin's right back on the scene, causing more problem and causing more chaos in the world. Okay? So, um, so, um, so, if you're a skeptic, atheist, whatever you might be, all right, you might have the smart question is, um, so you're saying it's all okay because of a story God wants to tell, right? So is that what you're trying to say, Pastor Joe? That God can kill children and women and, and people just because he wants to tell a story. Does that make it okay for God to kill people? All right. Um, let me finish up. Let me finish up. All right. I'll finish up with a kind of strange and weird illustration. Okay. And, uh, and we'll wrap things up. Okay. So let's all put on our imagination caps, right? and imagine with me, if you will. All right, we finish our service, uh, we pray, Susan gives the benediction, all right? and uh, we open the doors. And as we open the doors, we find out that everybody outside this room has turned into zombies. Oh, oh no. Okay, it's a world of zombies, OK? I love zombie movies, by the way. Right, we, we saw a train to Busan a little while ago, so it's funny to see Asian um, zombie movies. But, um, but anyways, okay, we, we awaken to, to find out the whole world has been infected, and there are zombies everywhere. All right. uh, for some reason, nobody knows why, but our room was protected from this infection. Well, what do we do? Right, we do what they do in every zombie movie or story. Right? We got to go town to town. We got to look for answers. We got to search for food. And we got to find other survivors. Right? That's what we do. That's, that's what happens. Right? The difficult part about this is along the way, you know, just to get out of this room, we got to kill a bunch of people because they don't just let us walk by. Right? We got to kill a bunch of people. And this is hard because some of these people are our friends, our family, and some little kids, some of which I would have no problem kicking. But that's a different story, right? Um, but we have to do this, right? Because we're surviving. We're surviving, and they're, you know, they're so, you know, they're so infected and, and unsavable that this is just the way it is, right? Um, along our journey, somewhere in season two, uh, we find out that this infection is so bad that. It is actually, even though we don't look like zombies or walk or talk like zombies, it's actually in our blood. Right? When we die, we turn into zombies. Right? This might sound like a story that you might know if you watch The Walking Dead. Right? But it's in our blood. When we die, we become zombies. So this infection is so deep that it even infects us, the people that look like we're the good people. Right? So the point of my story, okay? the point of my story, um, is not to justify killing of people outside the room 
or not to justify God killing people just because of a story. Okay, although given our situation, if we're survivors and there's zombies out there, it is the appropriate thing to do, right? Uh, no matter what, it is an awful thing that none of us would take joy in. None of us would take joy even if the whole world were zombies and killing people, unless you are sick in the head. Right? None of us would take joy in that. And the Bible tells us that. God does not take joy in the killing of anyone. Right? But the point of this story, right, the reason I'm telling you this, this weird zombie thing, is um, to show the deep depravity of the infection, right? how it has ravaged the whole human race. Right? And in this story, the answer, or if you watch the zombie movies, the answer isn't in medicine. It's not in education. It's not in money. It's not in multiculturalism. It's not in politics. Right? It's not in uh, a liberal agenda or, a, or you know, a conservative agenda. It's not, it's not in any of these. Okay? The answer to sin. It's not in medicine. It's not in education. It's not in money. It's not in if we just have universal health care. It's not in if everyone can just get along. It's not in if we could just have one political party that everyone could agree with. It's not in any of that. Right? But it's in Jesus. Okay, the answer to our sin problem is in Jesus. Okay, when we um, look at the story, Okay, I'm not saying it's okay to kill because God wants to tell a story, okay, but the sin is so bad, the sin is so rampant, right? and God wants us to see and understand that. Like, I don't know how often we think of like, how deeply wicked we are. Okay, I don't, it's, it's weird to me as I was studying this that you know, we as humans, we have I don't know, maybe the audacity to judge God, but who are we to judge God? Even in 2018, like 4,000 years later from where the Israelites were, like, do we have it figured out as a society? We're just as wicked, if not more wicked, than they were back then, and we're standing here judging God about how we can do this or that. Right? We are deeply, deeply wicked people. Okay? And, and, and maybe it, we should, I don't know, take time to meditate on how sinful we are and how great and gracious and loving and compassionate God is that he would come and save us. Okay, so this is why we share the gospel. This is why we forgive. This is why we love. Right? To save as many as it will listen, to bring them to salvation, to, to the beautiful gift that God has offered each and every one of us. Okay, so going back to the question, right, why does God seem angry in the Old Testament and loving in the New Testament? Because right? God wants to show us the seriousness of sin but he also wants to show us how great his love is for each and every person, right? for everyone. Right? And let's share that. Let's share that. Let's be the hands and feet that share that with the world, okay? that there is a loving God. All right, so let's pray together. Let's pray together. Um, Lord, there's a lot of confusing things in the world. Um, there's a lot of big questions that we have. And uh, we thank you that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to uh, deal with difficult things, even with regards to you and who you are. And uh, God, we thank you that uh, you are loving and compassionate and kind and generous to people like us. 
people that are sinful and wretched and so corrupt all the way down to the core of who we are. Uh, We thank you for sending your son, uh, who you didn't need to send, who we didn't deserve, uh, who you didn't need to do the work to rescue, uh, but you rescued each and every one of us. And uh, although it, it seems like you are this wrathful God in the Old Testament, um, you are. You are, not towards us, but towards sin. And you'd, like, you'd love to see everyone know you and love you. And God, I pray that uh, we wouldn't confuse things, but we'd see the whole story and see how wretched we are, uh, what wretched sinners we are, and what a wonderful gift we have in you. Uh, God, teach us this deep in our hearts and uh, for us to continue to question, uh, continue to open our eyes and uh, see you, uh, the God that loves us, uh, the God that wants to adopt us, uh, the God that wants to rescue us uh, from this wicked and fallen world. Uh, So we thank you and uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name.